Check, check one. We are all set. Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to be hanging out for a little while today. But we're going to be, we're not starting at the beginning. We talked about, last week we talked about Judas and Judas's betrayal, which was intense and uh, scary in many ways. This week is also intense, I've got to warn you. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. It starts in verse 45. We're going to start in verse 45 this morning. Crucif- the, the death of Jesus, as it's, as it's called in, the, in this particular translation. Let's read together. We're going to read down to verse 54. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. This morning, one of the themes we're going to be talking about, we're going to be diving into, is proximity. We're going to talk about proximity. So, this would be an example of far, right? It would be a little awkward if I did the sermon from back here. But this is, more, this is a better example of near. Like, this is near. That's close. It's awkwardly close. Either place, if I preach from either spot, it would be a little weird, wouldn't it? This is weirder. Is that weirder? Is that weirder to you? But the story of Jesus on the cross has a lot to do with proximity, far and near. And here's the summary statement of what this passage teaches. Jesus was cast into the outer darkness so that we might be brought into the house of God. Jesus was cast into the outer darkness so that we might be brought into the house of God. And this passage shows us that in three ways. This is known as the Passion Week, the Passion of the Christ. We've been talking a lot about that this week. And I want to look at three things from this passage about this idea of proximity. Let's look at the intensity of the Passion of Jesus. Then we're going to dive into the power of the Passion of Jesus. And then we'll close with the reason for the Passion of Jesus. The best place for us to start, though, when we talk about the Passion of Jesus, is to define terms. Because when most of us think of passion, we think of it in one of two ways. A deep desire for something or a deep love for something. We might say, 
that person has a passion for fishing. What do we mean when we say that that person has a passion for fishing? Anyone? Enthusiasm, absolutely. Yeah, they probably have all the latest gear, probably go fishing on a, a very regular basis, maybe even every day or every weekend. We also use the word passion to describe the relationship between a man and a woman. We say that that man and woman had a night of passion. We're not going to define that. Don't worry. But the idea is a deep love a deep desire for one another. That's how we use the word passion. And we need to recognize that because when we talk about the passion of Jesus or the passion week, or as I describe the passion, that term in a much more traditional sense means suffering. That's the theme of the week of Jesus leading up to this thing we call Good Friday, this coming Friday. It's all about the suffering of Jesus. And he suffered a lot. And it's really important for us to understand the intensity of his suffering. And we find that the intensity of his suffering really is encapsulated in his screams. The Bible calls them cries. But a much better translation of the words in the Greek is scream. They were, they were gut-wrenching screams of Jesus. The first one being Eloi, Eloi, or Eli, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The second one is not recorded here in Matthew, but it is recorded in John chapter 19, and it's where Jesus says, it is finished. Those were the two screams of Jesus from the cross. Let's look at the first one. Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the pinnacle of the suffering of Jesus. Isaiah describes the suffering of Jesus in this way. Isaiah says, this is the Old Testament. It's a book in the Old Testament. And it says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all, he was oppressed. This is, this is key. Catch this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was oppressed and afflicted. He was beaten. He was tortured. There was blood spilling from his body, and he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was being cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. The Bible makes it clear here in Isaiah, but also it makes it clear in the New Testament that Jesus did not open his mouth. He was silent as those horrific things were happening to him. As the soldiers beat him and spit on him and mocked him, he was silent. Think about it for a minute. The true suffering of Jesus was not the physical punishment of his body. The true suffering of Jesus, we don't really discover until we hear him scream. He was silent through everything leading up to his time on the cross. But he screams on the cross because it's the the pinnacle of his suffering. And what's happening is he's saying, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's going to hell. That's what's happening to Jesus on the cross. He's going to hell. And we have to think of it a little bit differently than the traditional American description of hell. We think of hell, and I think of hell many times in a cartoonish way. The pitchfork, you know, the flames burning behind, the little imp with the pitchfork who's got the tail that has the little point at the end where he can stab folks. That's what we think of in going to hell. That's what hell is. But hell, and we talked about this a few weeks back, is much more about proximity. Near and far. Jesus is going into, as the New Testament describes hell, he's going into the outer darkness. He's being cast away from the presence of God. And when he says, my God, my God, we get a clue into the level, to the intensity of his suffering. If I say, that's my Andrew back there, or my Lyndon, or my Hunter, you don't think anything of it, do you? Right? That's normal. I mean, the closest relationships in our lives, we use that possessive term. But if I said, there's my Calvin, Jeff's going to get weirded out. Probably Melanie, too. <laughs> right? Y'all, y'all are going to be like, Nathan, seriously, like, that's weird. It's, th- this is our, that's my, Jeff's going to come to me and he's going to say, no, 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 that's my Calvin. You get your hands off, weirdo. Because it's a term of deep-seated commitment, of life-committed love. It's my babe, my child. When Jesus says, my God, The level of fellowship, the level of commitment, the depth of intimacy of relationship between God the Father and God the Son is like nothing we have ever experienced on this earth. This is is the closest two beings can be to one another. And the reason Jesus is screaming from the cross is because that's being ripped apart. He's being torn from the closest relationship in his life, and he is in agony on the cross. He is being cast into outer darkness. He is going to hell. You ha- Again, we have to think of hell a little bit differently than just a lake of fire. Because the, Bible des- the way the Bible describes hell, especially in James, is that there really is no one in hell who doesn't want to be there. Have you ever thought of it that way? There really is no one in hell who didn't want to be there. Here's how the Bible puts it. Here's what I mean by that. I know that's kind of a a heavy statement, but the book of James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, every good thing we have on this earth is from God. And, And hell is basically the absence of all the good things that God has put on this earth into our lives. Imagine it. Imagine it for a minute. I mean, you you can use your imagination. Think of every good thing in your life, every blessing, every generosity being taken away. It's hard to even go there. That's just slightly getting at what hell is like. Because that's what it's like to be outside of the presence of God. Being cast out into the outer darkness means that you are completely separated from all of God's goodness. And all that's left is torture, is brokenness, is pain. And that's the place that Jesus 
is going here. Now, let me, ref- let me refresh back just for a second about what I said, that um, nobody is in hell that doesn't want to be. And that, that is that God is, God doesn't send people to hell. You've probably heard people, especially in Charlottesville here, that would say, yeah, I can't believe in that God, the God of the Bible, because that's the God who sends people to hell. That's awful. Like, I don't want to believe in a God that's like that. And that's just not the way the Bible describes it. God doesn't describe God sending people to hell. It's people loving darkness more than anything else and being afraid of coming into the light and then just staying in darkness until they're dead. Let's, let me read the passage that talks about that for one second. Um, where did I put it? Nuts. Oh, no, it's on, it's on here. It's on here. Sorry. This is the verdict. This is from 1 John. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So why am I talking about this? Why am I talking about the fact that people actually choose hell? And God gives them what they want. They want to be separated from him. They want to not believe in God, and God gives them over sometimes. He gives them over to the darkness. Why am I talking about that? Because Jesus is the only person in the history of the world who was not in that category ever, ever in that category. He was the one person who wanted to be closest to God, who had the deepest relationship with God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's the only one who was utterly thrown out and rejected, even in that state, in the state of wanting to be near God, wanting to be close to God, wanting to have a relationship with God. The intensity of Jesus' suffering is heart-wrenching. He went to the cross. He went to hell for a reason, though. And we're going to talk about, we're going to conclude with the reason Jesus went through this intensity of suffering, this passion, this intensity of the Passion Week. But first, before we do that, I want to talk for just a second about the power, because this has a lot of practical application for us. Jesus, though, he had the power of God even in this intense moment. And what was that power? Well, it's the power that you saw when he faced Satan in Matthew chapter 4, when he was being tempted by Satan. What was, when Jesus responded to Satan, what were his responses to Satan? 100% Scripture. Jesus, when you squeezed him, which he was often squeezed by the devil, squeezed by this life, what came out was the word of God. And that's exactly what's happening here in his moment of deepest suffering. He is quoting Psalm 22. Psalm 22 opens with the very words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We cannot, and this is the application for us, coming from Jesus, We must respond to the evil in this world, the evil in our hearts, with the Word of God. Y'all, we've got to be saturated with it. We've got to be... It is is God's gift to us in the evils of this world. Think about just a couple of examples. Temptation. Just like Jesus experienced temptation with the devil um, when he was confronting him in chapter 4 of Matthew. We're all tempted, and we need the Word of God to help us in our temptations. Another example is depression. 
depression, unless the, unless the Word of God has authority in our lives, we are going to believe the voices in our head, and I have these voices, y'all, that say, you're worthless. You're a mess. You are incapable of doing good. The lies come at us all the time. I don't know if you've ever experienced depression or if you've ever even just experienced a downtime in your life, but those phrases will overwhelm you. And unless you have the truth of God's word that says, no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You are loved with a love that can never be taken away. The word of God is the kind of power that stands above us and speaks truth into our lives about who we are and what we are. Another thing is fear. One of my favorite passages is Isaiah chapter 43. Fear not. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, I am there right beside you. This is the kind of God I am. He is with us in our fears, but we need the word of God to carry us through these things. My encouragement, my challenge coming out of this Knowing that the word of God is what gets us through the worst parts of this life on earth. The fact that some parts of this life on earth are hellish is the word of God. Don't. I encourage you. I encourage myself. I'm talking to myself here, y'all. Don't neglect it. It's easy to think, oh, yeah, this is what I do, y'all. Yeah, I'm supposed to read my Bible. It's like what a good Christian person does, I think, whatever. Uh, but I don't think of it in terms of I'm in deep trouble if I don't do this because I'm going to get tempted. Satan's coming at me. I'm going to get down. I'm going to get crushed by this world around me, by other people around me. I've got to have the word of God. It is my life. It is my food. It is my good. It is my honey. It is the gold that I need in my life. I just don't think of it that way very often. I'm like, yeah, I guess I should read my Bible today or whatever. It is your lifeblood. That's why God gave it to us. It is his gift to us. Do not neglect it. I challenge you this week to read your Bible every day. Read it every day. Go for it. You may not have accomplished that feat in five years, but try it again. Go for it again. Read it every day and see what a difference it can make with that word of God rattling around in your life. I promise, just like Jesus experienced, it can really be a powerful force against the darkness in the world. All right, so let's conclude with the reason for Jesus' passion. And I've already really given it to you, so I'm basically just repeating myself, but in more flowery words. Jesus was cast into the outer darkness. He was cast away from the Father so that we could be brought into the home of God, to the house of God. This is what we long for. This is what we long for. Every single one of us is on a quest. We are. To be human is to be on a journey. It's to be moving towards something. We as human beings, we live leaning forward. We're always moving towards something. And the thing that we're moving towards, the thing that motivates us in all of our actions is this idea of there is some happiness that I'm shooting for. There's something that I want. There's something that I truly desire. There's this thing called shalom. That's the way the Bible describes it, shalom. It's this idea, it's like Cosette in Les Miserables. 
She's living in the squalor of this horrible, you know, urban area. And she talks about the castle in the cloud, right? This idea, she's got this thing above her that she's shooting for. It's, it's as the, the philosophers and theologians describe it as our telos, our end, the reason for which we move in this world and move forward in this world. We all have it. It's a journey we're on. And many people get stuck, caught up early, and, and think that, okay, what I'll shoot for is success, money, sex, power. All right, that's what I'm going to be shooting for. That's my telos, that's my end. That's what I'm going for. If only I can get that, then I will be happy. That is the shalom. And the Bible teaches us that no, 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 no. When Jesus was on the cross and he uttered his second scream, he said, it is finished. What is finished? His work. And what was his work? Atonement. And what's the point of atonement? Or substitution for us? What's the point of it? That we might be brought to God. Remember what happens right after his second scream? There's an event that occurs in this passage after his second scream. It's the, yeah, 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 go for it, go for it, show me. Yeah, there's an explosion, there's an earthquake, but even before that, the curtain is ripped in two, and this is not any curtain. This is a curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Normal people could not enter into the outer uh, ring of the temple of God, the house of God. We'll call it the home of God, right? Normal people could not even enter the outer ring. That is, if you weren't a Jew. Jews could enter into the sort of inner outer circle where they used to do discussions and things like that. And then there was the holy place and only the priests could get into the holy place. Only certain people get in the holy place. But then there, inside of that, there was another door. This veil that's being talked about here was the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could get into that. It was the most exclusive place a person could ever be. It was the closest to the presence of God the Bible had to describe in the Old Testament. And the, that veil is being torn here. Jesus is opening that veil. And the point is, the Bible is telling us, access has been opened for all. To God. To, to Jesus. The home. That's a home there, you know. Think about a home, your own home. Maybe the home you grew up in. Right? Home is meant to be, it often is not, but it's meant to be a place of deep love, deep safety, deep hope, where we are known and loved even though we're total screw-ups. For some of us, we grew up in a really safe one. And it was wonderful. And some of us grew up in a really nasty home or one that was unsafe. And it is painful. We still deal with it to this day. But this is our ultimate home. This is so much greater than any home any person could ever have on this earth. That is what Jesus is doing through the cross. He is calling people home. Home. It's home doesn't matter what the home was like that you grew up in. It doesn't matter what your home is like even now. This is your true home. This is, when we talk about human beings uh, living life on a journey, living life leaning forward, this is the goal. This is shalom, home, God. In 
the most intimate place with God, and it's what Jesus bought on the cross. And there's a couple of applications I want to give us from this. The first application I want to give us from this is on the last page of my notes. <laughs> Might it be time, and Chrissy and I even talked about this, you can insert your own desire. Right? So we have a desire. We came to Charlottesville and we were like, Lord, we think you're calling us to church plant. We think we're, you're, you're calling us to, to teach and to lead and to love people. And we deeply want it to be successful. Right? Who, I mean, you want to be successful in your job, right? And at times, it kind of takes over, right? The success of that can sort of get in the way of actually loving God or being loved by God. Because again, that desire for success trumps the desire for God himself. What's yours? What's yours? What's the thing you feel like your life is aiming towards that you, that you can't really be happy without? Might it be time to let go of it and be home with God? And that doesn't mean to not pursue it anymore. It doesn't mean, when I say to let go of it, I don't mean to give it up or to totally change course in your life, but to let go of it in the sense that it grips your heart. It causes you worry. It causes you fear. It causes you trouble. It causes you to hurt other people. It causes you... That's what, it, that's what a telos, an end in life, does when it's not God. It rips us apart from other people, and it tears us apart on the inside. What's yours? Might it be time to let it go and let God be your shalom instead of success, money, sex, power. Okay, secondly, when God, second application, when God is our home, when he's really our home, and intimacy with him is like the greatest thing we can imagine, and it's this place of of love, y'all, energetic, Life-giving things spring from that. It's like when somebody has a really great earthly home. They have this sense that I can go out in the world. I can go accomplish things. I can go take off. I can fly. Because I always know I have home that I can go to. The same thing is true for us. What's your dream? What's your dream that you're afraid to pursue? I dream with some folks even this week. One of the guys I meet with, his name's David. Not this David. There's another David I meet with. And our dream we're cooking up right now is entrepreneurial classes. He and I want to partner together. We want to teach entrepreneurship to the Prospect Avenue neighborhood. And we talked with Abundant Life about this. We're meeting with someone from there. We talked about teaching refugees entrepreneurial skills to start their own business because he started his own business. He's really good at entrepreneurship. I'm more just a support role. And then we also talked about doing entrepreneurship with folks that are just exiting jail. And I have a lunch coming up this week with Joseph, this guy named Joseph, who is a chaplain at the local jail. And why not? Let's go and just do some good. Let's jump out in the world and do some good. I dreamt with some other folks even this week about missions, about caring for the lonely who are at UVA. I mean, y'all, the, the possibilities are exciting and almost endless. But it's exceptionally difficult. This is for me. I'm talking to myself. I may be talking to some of you in here. 
it's exceptionally difficult to move out in riskiness, in boldness, in faith, when our home is success, money, sex, and power. Because then everything's oriented towards us and what we want and what we can get. But when God is home, the orientation changes. Proximity, the orientation changes, and we get to go out and we get to do for others, and we get to love others, and we get to, we get to fly from the safety of our home in God. It's a beautiful picture God has given us. Jesus was cast into the outer darkness that we might be brought into the home of God. Amen? Let's pray. It's painful, Lord, to watch your suffering on the cross. It's painful to see the relationship of the Trinity ripped apart. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be changed by this truth. The truth that you did this for us. It's for us. Your death on the cross. Your suffering Your journey to hell was for us, Lord, that we might be brought home. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room, Lord, that is not home, that they would come home. Just like the prodigal, Lord, pray that you draw them home to you, to your arms. Father, you're always waiting. You will run down the driveway. Lord, I pray that you would run down the driveway today for all of us. And that we would feel your embrace. And that we would feel your cloak of love and of grace covering us. I pray that we would feel the ring of your care for us on our finger. Lord, and I pray that we would feast. Even now as we come to your table, I pray that we would feast on the fatted calf that you've prepared for us. Because you love us. And you want nothing more than to be close to us in proximity. Lord, draw all of us this morning close to you in proximity. And may this meal be a means by which you draw us into your arms. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. As I remove the palm fronds, and if anybody wants these to take them home and like decorate with, you're more than welcome to take them home. As I mentioned, this meal is a picture of God's love. It's the feast. It's the feast that he's prepared for us to enjoy. And he fills us with this food. The knowledge that Jesus died to bring us close to God. Let's now feast together, remembering that... One other thing, sorry, I have to mention this. The meal also is a picture of us being brought close together as his people. That's another beautiful... That's why when we take the bread, we hold it, and then we eat it together. That is meant to be a way for us to show our unity and the closeness and community that we have with one another. But this morning, my prayer is that you would freshly know that God wants to be close in proximity to you. I do not care 
what you've done this past week. I don't care what you've done this past month or year. God wants to be close in proximity to you. Let's now eat this bread as he taught when he was in the upper room with his disciples. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Drink in remembrance of me. But he also warned, as Paul reminds us in the New Testament, he also warned not to eat the bread in an unworthy manner. And that just means if you are actively rejecting the Lord, let the meal pass by and and pray that he would change your heart. But also know that as you come to him, broken as you might be, sinful as you might be, he wants you to partake and eat of this meal. So let's do just that now.